So a couple of days ago, uh, I was here at the rectory and I was up uh, in the attic. I was looking for, I'm going away this week, and I was looking for a suitcase, a luggage I had up there. Um, and I saw these uh, group of boxes that I brought here, I guess, 11 years ago. Uh, books, books from school, um, mostly seminary textbooks, a couple, uh, couple of books from college, and even actually uh, some from high school. Um, they're mostly uh, paperbacks that, you know, I had to read uh, novels and plays, classics from uh, English, you know, from literature of some kind. Uh, I was looking at them and it was kind of interesting how, I mean, that was like over 40 years ago that I was in high school. Some of these paperbacks looked brand new, like they looked like they were, like had never even been cracked open. Um, so it was kind of more sad than interesting because I just, I didn't really read as many of these books as I should have way back when. Um, some of them I did, and you could tell. You could tell by even just the, the condition of those books, the ones I read. They, you know, the pages were bent and I had underlined stuff. To Kill a Mockingbird, I love that. Uh, Huckleberry Finn. But there were a couple of others that, uh, well, there were these two in particular that I remember, I remember when I got assigned them, I was very excited about the prospect of reading them. Uh, one was The Red Badge of Courage, and the other one was All Quiet on the Western Front. And I know why I was excited. I was probably 15 or 16 or 17, and they were stories about war, which kind of intrigued me. Um, one of them was Civil War, the other one was World War I. So I was, uh, I was looking forward to reading them, but then I started to read them and I, uh, I was disappointed. It just wasn't what I was expected. Uh, and they're considered classic books, so I'm not, I'm not critiquing it on a, on a, you know, a literary play perspective. It's just, um, yeah, they just wasn't what I was hoping for. And it's crazy, you could see in the book how you know, the first, I don't know, 40 or 50 or 60 pages were read, you know, again, I underlined stuff, and, but then at a certain point, it just kind of stops, and it was like, I guess I kind of gave up. I probably bought a Cliff Notes or another version of a summary. Um, but I remember these, even, even the little I read of these two books, and I guess the discussion of them in class, they were very dark, very depressing stories really violent, very descriptive stories about just the, the horror of war, very anti-war books, and what it, what it does to people. I think I was looking for probably for like a comic book, cartoon version of what war is like. I wanted to be entertained, not disturbed. That's exactly what the author was trying to do, disturb. I think they, wanted, they both wanted to point out how brutal war was, how crazy and evil it is. I remember the, remember the first 25 minutes of Saving Private Ryan, the Spielberg movie? You know, it's like painful to watch. It begins with, you know, the invasion in Normandy and it's just, everything is like, you know, you're, it's almost like the way he filmed it, like you're, you're there. It was a terrifying. I had never seen a, a movie about war so realistic. 
Uh, and I think that's exactly what Spielberg wanted to do. Just like these two authors. To, to, to portray the reality of the horror and the violence. There's a new version, movie version of All Quiet on the Western Front that came out. Some of you maybe saw it, maybe you heard about it. It's a foreign film, it was made in Germany. It's supposed to be great, got very good uh, reviews, a bunch of awards. I didn't see the movie, but uh, there's a particular scene in it that I, uh, I read a review of it and, it and it referenced this scene. And I, rem I remember this scene, I don't know if I read it or I remember hearing about it in class. Um, the main character is, uh, he's a kid, he's just graduated, sorry, I guess from high school, he's a teenager. And he's very idealistic, very patriotic, very German. He wants to go off and fight for his country. So him and his three buddies enlist right away. And almost right away, they become traumatized by the reality of war, the brutality of it, especially trench warfare. And there's this one scene in particular, and this is the one that's referenced in this review, where he's in the trenches and he comes face to face with a, a French soldier. And they fight, kind of like hand-to-hand -hand combat. And the German guy kills the French guy, ultimately stabs him. But it's a very slow death. He, it's, he kind of, it's this agonizing, slow, painful death. And he can't get away from it, the German guy, because they're trapped in these trenches, kind of this no man's land. So he has to just sit there and watch this guy slowly die. And he's distraught by it. And something happens to him, this kid. Like he goes from seeing this guy as an enemy to now just seeing him as a person, like somebody's son or brother or friend. And all the differences that he saw between him and himself and him were like, kind of disappeared. The, the language difference, the uniform, the culture. And that all became kind of unimportant. You know what I think happened to this guy? He began to see the, the other guy the way God sees us. Like he sees us all as the same. Yeah, we, we look different and we speak in different ways and shapes and sizes and colors, yeah, but at the heart of it, God's like, no, I mean, like, you're, you're all the same and you're all equal to me. Like even the bad guys, even the enemy, God loves as much as he loves the good guys. And like that's almost impossible for us to grasp, isn't it? Well, we're not God. You know, why should we think we should fully get everything that is about God? This is something about God. We come from him. We're all his. From his perspective, we're all one. We're like his kids. We're siblings, we're cousins. Paul talks about it. This is what he says. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves and free. In God's eyes, we're all the same. We, we kind of know that. We've heard those words a million times. In theory, we kind of get it. But in first century Palestine, when Paul spoke these words, 
It was like crazy talk. You Jews and Greeks are the same? No, they weren't. They hated each other. God didn't hate them. God just saw them as his children. Even crazier. Slaves and free people? What are you, nuts, Paul? You say that God thinks a, fl- a slave is as, Im- as important as a-, a free person? It's exactly what Paul's saying. We create these crazy, sin creates these categories and distinctions. But none of that exists with God. That's what happens to this guy in the movie and in the novel. He realizes this guy that I just killed is kind of not really any different than me. Oddly enough, his name is Paul too. This character in the, in the novel kind of like plays out Paul's words in scripture. I think it's a Pentecost message. This oneness. We mess it up. We go to war. We have civil wars. We fight with neighbors. But God's like, I don't know why, why do you all create this stuff? Well, I mean, evil's the source of it so often, right? Sin. You know, we read, we had the first reading a few minutes ago from the Acts of the Apostles, and then we had the Gospel. They're both... They both describe what happened on Pentecost. Go back and take a look at them. Take a look at it in the bulletin when you go home. They're both stories of Pentecost, but they're very different stories. They're absolutely two different versions of this same important event. Actually, the apostle says it happened weeks after Good Friday. John's gospel, the gospel version, it says it happened Easter Sunday night. Jesus showed up. The Acts of the Apostles showed up weeks later and there's no Jesus. This wind shows up and this fire appears. There's no fire or wind with Jesus, but it says Jesus breathes on them. So they're kind of like, detail-wise, they're pretty different stories. You know what's common? You know what's common to both? Locked doors. In both stories, they're hiding behind locked doors because they're scared. There's a lot of scared people in these two stories. They were scared to death. They had witnessed Good Friday. They thought there was going to be a sequel and they'd be starring in it. They were next. And then this this thing happened. It doesn't even matter what the details are. If you want it to be the wind, great. If you want it to be tongues of flame, go for it. Who cares? If you want Jesus to be there, fine. If you want Jesus breathing the spirit into the room, cool. I mean, the details don't really matter. What does matter is that something happened. Their fear evaporated. Fear that paralyzed them. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It evaporates fear. It shrinks fear. So here I think is an important question to consider. 
Maybe for us to regularly ask ourselves, okay, well, I know I know there's things I'm afraid of. We've all got fears. Here's the question. Do you allow the Holy Spirit in? Why should I invite the Holy Spirit in? Because it shrinks fear. Because what happened to the apostles can happen to us, does happen to us, when we invite the Spirit in. It's like chemo shrinks the tumor. It's like radiation shrinks the tumor. The Holy Spirit shrinks fear. So here's another question. What scares you? What's got you scared? What's got you maybe awake at night? Introduce whatever that is to the Holy Spirit. Hey, maybe it's health stuff. Your health isn't good. It's been getting worse. You know something's not right. And it's got you anxious. Of course it's got you anxious. Introduce the anxiety to the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're stressing out about just the days we're living in. I mean, we all, we all are on varying degrees, I think. Look at the culture we're living in. You know, who doesn't worry about their, the culture that your kids or grandkids are gonna grow up in? Because it's getting crazier and crazier today. What's tomorrow gonna look like? Our values seem to be just sort of dismissed regularly anymore. So you're worrying about that. How could we not be? Introduce your worry to the Holy Spirit. Look at the news. Look at just sort of like this growing lawlessness in the cities in particular. Total disregard for life. It's scary. We'd be blind if we weren't scared. So introduce that fear to the Holy Spirit. Did you hear about the Los Angeles Dodgers this past week, they were in the news a lot, not because of baseball, because they, they stepped in it. They created a mess. They've got, uh, I guess for June, uh, they're doing a, a kind of like a gay pride night. I think most, most, probably most of the major league teams do. So I guess before the game, and in some ways they kind of promote respect for, for gay rights. Well, they invited a group. In fact, they've invited this group to receive an award. They're a, they're a militant protest group. They protest everybody who opposes them. They're insanely anti-Catholic. They hate what the church teaches about sexuality. So what they do is they take the most sacred aspects of who we are, the stuff that matters most to us, that's like most holy, and they trash it, they desecrate it, they mock it publicly. They're gross what they do. And the Dodges are honoring this group. Anyway, there was a backlash from Christians 
Catholics, and they were like, are you kidding? You watch 30 seconds of a video of the way they protest, and you'd be like, are you out of your mind? So they disinvited them. And then there were counter-protests because of the disinvitation. So they reinvited them. <laughs> and essentially told people of faith, told Catholics, pretty much to drop dead. Because we're just gonna do this. They speak horrible things. They communicate awful things about us. Publicly, but we're gonna honor them anyway. They just surrendered, surrendered to fear. Same kind of fear that kept the apostles in that room. Here's the sad irony, it's the, the Dodgers, the Dodgers. This was the organization that 75 years ago said, Jackie Robinson's coming in. Like this is a scandal, what we're doing and who we prohibit, our rules. Like, this has to stop. And they were met with opposition and protest and, like, horrible, ignorant, ugly stuff. But they didn't surrender. They held, they held true despite protests. It was like the opposite of what the Dodgers have become. I got a buddy of mine who's a, uh, yeah, he's a friend of mine. He's got a little kid. He's maybe about two and a half, the little boy. And he sent me a picture, he, got a, he bought a little, little kid's book and it's about Jackie Robinson, kind of telling his story. And he texted me, he showed me the, the picture of him holding the book and he said, uh, this is back when the Dodgers were the team that did the right thing. I wish I was a Dodger fan so that I could boycott them. You know, it's sort of like there's, a, there's like life before Pentecost and life after. Pre-Pentecost, post-Pentecost. Pre-Pentecost, like I said, what was going on? A lot of hiding, a lot of scared, a lot of we're not here. Post-Pentecost, they completely flipped the script. They're proclaiming Jesus to people who didn't want to hear it and they wouldn't be stopped. And the church exploded and grew. Here's a question, a third question. What's the possibility that we, as a church, as individuals, we've been hiding in that room too much, too long? Like, are we hiding in a pre-Pentecost place? Is it time to get out of that room and say, no? Yeah, you can, you can disagree with us, of course. It's a free country. But you're given this trash an award? Well, there's things we could do. Hey, I mean... I'll never buy a Bud Light again. I mean, I'll just, it's easy for me not to, you know, I'll just drink a Coors Light. I'll drink a Miller Light. It's all, those light beers kind of taste the same. So when I, if I walk into a place, not that I'm walking around buying beer so much, but if I go into a place and there's a choice between a 12, 12 pack of Bud Light and a Coors Light, well, I'm not going to buy the Bud Light. 
But that's easy. That's easy to do. Because there's an alternative. I don't have to go shopping at Target. When you consider some of the insanity that they're promoting among children, I can survive without Target. So yeah, I'll boycott them too. But how about this? What if the Mets, who I love, <laughs> invited that group and honored them? But what do I do then? Do I say, Herod, I, got, I can't do this anymore. I gotta let them know you can't do this. And when you stop doing it, I'll come back and watch baseball. Like maybe, in other words, what's needed is for us to sacrifice a bit more and to maybe go without something that we really like because they promote atrocious stuff. So I'll just have to live without it. But I'll sleep well. And I won't be hiding in a locked room. And hey, this is bigger than boycotts and it's more complicated, I know. And you know, and you look at these, this, that group that they're honoring, they're pathetic. I mean, they're enraging, but they're also sad. Like, what happened to you? Who hurt you? How did you become so demented, so offensive, so ugly? Like, they, they need our prayer, like they really do, as hard as that is, because they're so awful what they say and do. So it is complicated, but on another level, sometimes it's not so complicated, it's kind of simple. It's like the whole schoolyard dynamic. It's the bully in the schoolyard, isn't it? We know how that works. The bully keeps bullying until you push back on the bully. And then he folds. We need to push back on these bullies. We've gotta say enough. We've gotta come out of that room. We gotta stop hiding. Unlock the doors.